Welcome back to the Pretty Serious Bike Racing Podcast, everybody. I'm Dane Cash, and we're coming to you on what what will for you be Monday, May 8th. And we're having this conversation right after having watched both the final stage of the Vuelta Femenina and the second stage of the Giro d'Italia. It's Grand Tour season, everybody. Welcome to Grand Tour season. Cosmo Catalano, bike racing expert, analyst extraordinaire. Welcome to Grand Tour season and uh, great to talk to you again. Great to be here. I I may still slightly prefer classic season, but the uh, Vuelta Femenina was a pretty solid start, I thought. For the Grand yeah, Tours. We, we did get off to a nice start to the Grand Tour season. We'll get into that as well. Also joining us this week, Escape Collective Editor-in-Chief, Kaylee Fretz, live from his backyard in Durango? Front yard. Front yard. Front yard I, I like Durango. to do it in public. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How you doing, Kaylee? I'm great. Just went for a bike ride, did all the town trails, everything's dry, mountain bike, just feeling good. Well, that, that is High great. on endorphins right now. Love those endorphins. Uh, And also joining us this week is... All right, Ruth, I went down the list a little bit to get... uh, We have the runner-up at the Donostia San Sebastian Classicoa Women 2021, Ruth Winder. Welcome to the podcast, Ruth. Thank you. That's a good one. I was proud of that result. Yeah, Yeah. that's a great And and a meek one, so I thought I basically won. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, she's still That's... winning bike races. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. <laughs> so we got, a, we got a good crew here today to talk about Welta and talk about Giro. So the Giro is a little bit fresher in our minds. Also, there's a little bit less to say about it because we're only two stages in to the Giro d'Italia. There are things to talk about, though. We've gotten some storylines in the early goings. Of course, the race opened with a time trial, and then there was a sprint stage. Cosmo, after two days of the Giro d'Italia, I feel like... Uh, Normally, it can be a challenge to give me a 15-second rundown, but I bet you can give me a 10-second rundown. Just, hey, where are things with the Jordataya? What's what's the situation over there? Uh, there was a time trial. It was short, but not a prologue. Uh, Remco Evnopol won by a lot more than people thought he would, and everybody thinks the Giro is over. There was a sprint. There was a crash. Jonathan Milan uh, took the win. Kind of a surprise, but he earned it. I mean, he didn't get any shortcuts other than the people held by the crash. So That's a great way of describing what's happened so far. So let's start with the TT. Remco Evenepoel won by a lot. Maybe for for like... a 20-minute TT, not for right. a three-week stage race. Sure, that's true. Uh, but I would say over the field, considering the yes. fact that the field includes Filippo Ogana and Primoz Roglic, the Olympic champion, and a, a handful of other good time trialists. Uh, I don't know. Is the race over, guys? Do we have takes on this? No, of course the race is not over. <laughs> I mean, I mean, all you had to do was watch stage one, two, two, I guess it's technically <laughs> two. two because it's not a prologue, isn't it? Uh, today, anyway, Sunday, all he had to do was watch that and see exactly why uh, no Grand Tour. I mean, he could have taken four minutes. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't actually be over today. Today, we saw, was it Teo Gegenhart lose 19 seconds in sort of like a freak incident crash just outside 3K to go. So outside the time limit thing, we're not, we're not talking about today yet. But my point being is that, uh, you know, it's a, it's a very long race. I, I thought it was very interesting that uh, Primoz Roglic, after the finish, I think we all kind of looked at him and we were like, eh, you know, he lost 40, what, 40 seconds to Remco. That doesn't feel 
great, particularly considering Primoz Roglic is generally a pretty good time trialist. Uh, but he was really happy after the finish. Like he was, he's not generally a, a real kind of bubbly guy, but he seemed kind of genuinely happy with his performance. I think maybe that comes from like, you know, he knows what he can do power wise and he did it. And, and he like, that's kind of all he can kind of hope for. Uh, and I think he also knows that there's a long way to go. I mean, his his quote was, you know, 20 stages to go. So, no, Remco Venable has not won this Giro, but he certainly got off to a pretty good start. I think with Roglic, there were maybe two aspects there, two factors leading to his relatively uh, optimistic outlook. The first being that he made it through a stage without crashing. So that's great. Like, he one stage down is a big deal. I mean, he's he's had some rough times. Uh, here and there, and and so yeah, he he's gotten one down, and then two. I think it's the numbers is is it's more so in a TT than really anywhere else. You can look at your numbers and say, okay, I I did good. And so if he went into this race expecting a certain outcome, uh, regardless of the standings, in terms of his performance, his numbers, he may have ended up getting just that. It's just that unfortunately for him, Remco Evenepoel was was so much better than everybody else. And I, to me, that was a real takeaway of the day. It wasn't really that Primoz Roglic was bad, because he still finished sixth, and he wasn't that far behind Philip Ogana, who normally wins Giro time trials at will. Uh, instead, it was just that Remco is just flying. I mean, he, he was that much better than everybody, including time trial uh, stars like, well, yeah, like Roglic, but also like Philip Ogana. And I, I think, yes, one, there are crashes could happen. Um, that that's certainly a possibility. Again, as we saw today, Kelly. Uh, another thing to keep in mind is that even without crashes, we have seen riders, and, and particularly at the Giro, come into the race and start really strong, and then fade. I can remember Simon Yates doing this like, like dramatically a few years ago, uh, and Remco himself has come into races strong only to falter later on so even if he doesn't crash there, there's always that possibility that i think the, the question a lot of people have is is he coming in too hot uh is that possible that he's co- that he's coming in too hot i mean we don't know until we watch the race of the race we've seen him kind of come in too hot before i guess but uh he's seemed really unstoppable lately in the one day <laughs> i guess lately that we've seen him in um yeah I think it's exciting. I definitely it was one of the people that was like, okay, well, this is going to be boring now. He's got 30 seconds. But as they say, it's never over till it's over, um, <laughs> I believe. From a racer's perspective, I mean, we've looked at Remco. We, we've watched him really, if not dominate, he's at least been up there. His form has been extremely good for maybe two months now. Uh, and yeah, from a racer's perspective, is it really hard to keep that kind of form for three months? Because that's kind of what he's going to have to do. I think if this is his goal, then no. I think at the end of, for me, my big goals were always the end of the classic season and you're tired, but you're also just been working your butt off for all those races. So you're not going to lose sight of that motivation while you're in them. So maybe a little bit of wishful thinking then that, uh, not that, not that anybody's rooting against Remco. I mean, there are people rooting against Remco, I'm sure, but we wanted a more exciting race, so hopefully, hopefully, it's not over. Well, hopefully, it'll make like other teams try and do something maybe more exciting to try and win. I don't know. Yeah, you pull I mean, like for- a Chris Froome style raid, you know. Uh, anything, anything is possible. That last week is incredibly difficult. It is really, really, really hard. It's one of the hardest weeks, like sort of single weeks of a Grand Tour we've seen in a while. 
And the thing is, like, he doesn't have to have done anything wrong for things to go wrong, right? Like, I don't think Yates missed time to peak or anything like that. Like, at this point, these riders are pretty good at that sort of thing. Their coaches are pretty good at that sort of thing. But you just have a, you know, you don't you don't eat enough pasta some night. You like you get a little bug. You get like there's all sorts of different things that can happen. I think, I think the last week of this Giro is going to be interesting regardless because he'll either still be leading, and everyone will have to throw everything at him, uh, or he'll have you know something will have have happened along the way and he'll be clawing back and that'll be good regardless. Uh, I know Cosmo, you wanted to make a point here, and before you do, uh, because Kaylee just brought up a, a bug, I just wanted to tell the listeners that Cosmo is here despite being sick, and that's how hard he works for you. That's how much he cares about podcasting and about bike racing. So, Cosmo, what is it that you wanted to, to add here? I'm, j- I'm jacked up on albuterol. I don't have a TUE. Let's just hope <laughs> WADA podcast whatever doesn't come by. And uh, no, I, I, the point I was going to make is this is a long time to be doing the things you do when you're when you're leading the bike race, right? We we saw, uh, we saw Sudal Quickstep doing a lot of work today for basically no result other than keeping their leader safe, which is important. But would you rather do that for four or five days or for twenty days? Uh, and I, I can remember back when there was a sort of expectation that a certain team would dominate the entirety of a stage race that. They would try after winning the jersey in the open, pro, uh, winning leader's jersey in an opening prologue to kind of give it away with like a long breakaway to take that burden off their shoulders. And I, I feel like every every day you're leading the race and not advancing your position is a day you're maybe doing more work than you want to be doing, um, especially with the sort of shift we've seen in, in, in how Grand Tours have gone over the past few years. I, I mean, there's plenty of opportunities in the first week here to give the pink jersey away in a breakaway. Like I'm looking at stage four, Venosa to Lago Leceno, and it's got sort of like a, a really lumpy start, nothing categorized, but, but quite lumpy. And then a cat two, actually three cat twos, including kind of a finishing with a cat two. Perfect, perfect breakaway stage. If Remco wants it to be basically, if they let, if they get the right group up the road, if they get a couple guys that, you know, are no threat down, down the, down the weeks. I think it's a perfect one for for giving away that jersey. And it wouldn't surprise me if they do that. In fact, it would surprise me if they don't. I feel like Pseudo Quickstep's team is just fine at this race. And so it's really going to be put to the test, considering how early Everpool has the jersey. And yeah, they might want to, you know, well, let somebody else take over. Because I, I, don't, I don't think they have a bad team. And they have a lot of power riders. Um, but they don't have as many great climbers as, say, Jumbo Visma does. Even with Jumbo Visma's like ever-changing COVID-affected roster, they still, I think, come into the race with a stronger team. So it'll be a lot for, for Sudol Quickstep to, to manage to, to be good throughout. Uh, let's talk about the Stage 2 situation. Uh, there was a crash that took out a bunch of riders, Cavendish being the big sprinter name that was taken out. Obviously, uh, Mess Peterson, also a big name, but I think the greatest sprinter of all time. Uh, probably get, deserves for me to mention him first. Uh, that was an interesting finale where the crash happened right outside of that 3K. And unfortunately for Teo Gegenhart, uh, not not going to be quite as uh, high up on the GC as he started the day. Uh, the sprint, though, ended up being very interesting. The The field was still pretty strong. Fernando Gaviria is in this race, and there, there are a handful of other fast finishers. And yet it was Jonathan Milan who won track star 
Olympic medalist, Olympic gold medalist, I think, on the track. Not what I would have expected from today. Like, that would have been the uh, not even in the top five of the riders. Maybe even the top ten of the riders I would have expected to win today. Uh, but he won convincingly. And I feel like Bahrain's got to be really happy to come out of this with a, a... They suddenly won a sprint convincingly at a Grand Tour on a day when... I, I feel like people who are way outsiders don't win sprints very often. That's just not a thing you see very often. I think a couple things conspired uh, in his favor here. The biggest one appeared to be a headwind that was a bit stronger than everyone was expecting. And the fact that he actually was boxed in a bit longer than he kind of wanted to be. Uh, you could kind of see that he was he was looking for a way out, looking for a way out, looking for a way out. And I think if he'd actually gotten out as he was looking for a way out, he probably would have faded just like everybody else and not won that race. But basically he was forced to jump really, 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 really late. So that was the, that was the first kind of big one. Uh, the second is that he's enormous. Uh, <laughs> and I don't know if that has any, any benefit or drawback into a headwind, but he, he's a big boy. He's like, he's like almost two meters and like 85 kilos. Like he's a, he's a large gentleman. And, uh, yeah, he just when he, when he put the power down, it was it was really clear that he just had more go than anybody else that was remaining at the front of that sprint. I'm I'm certainly no expert, but my physics 101 understanding is that if you have a high mass but you know low drag object, it's 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 good for sprinting. So maybe that maybe him and his bike together are that thing, and they they did quite well today. Because I think Fernando Gaviria is going to. I think he's going to go back to his hotel room tonight and he's going to be telling himself, yeah, there was a headwind. That's why. That's why what happened happened. Because he looked, I mean, he was a good position. I, I feel like Fernando Gaviria, the, the rider that I thought he was going to be five years ago, i.e. I thought he was going to be the best sprinter in the world, that person would have won today. Instead, he wasn't even really close. He, he, as soon as he was in the wind, it was like he just was swimming. He needs another corner at 300 meters to go again so that he can set up for the corner as if it's the finale and then sprint a little bit after the corner which is what he did at Romandy and just mwah. this was I was actually this reminded me how much I like Grand Tour sprints was the, especially at the Giro I think when they kind of everyone knows that it's going to be a sprint we, we had like this kind of constant helicopter coverage just watching the whole field kind of move and, and come come apart and see teams come up and you could almost see that crash coming uh from the way other riders were reacting before you could see it on the screen. And I just, I love that. As much as I like that last corner sprint, that something where Gaviria can really, or at least he showed at Romedy, can really manipulate, uh, this sort of straight-ahead classic Giro Grand Tour sprint is something I didn't realize I'd been missing. The, the funny thing is I feel like so often with Grand Tour sprints, you get the first one out of the way, and it really sets the tone. It's like the one who wins the first sprint, or maybe the two or three people who are contending for the first sprint, very often go on to contend for the rest of the sprints in the race. Your top three today was Jonathan Milan, David Decker, and Caden Groves in a race that has Mark Cavendish, Pascal Ackerman, and Fernando Gaviria. So if if that ends up being the riders who contend for the sprints, then hats off to all of them, and I'll be extremely impressed because this is a very unusual turn of events considering who was here. Uh, I'm sure Mads Peterson and company will, will be back when they don't crash. Is it, though? I mean... I... Like a bit of a changing of the guard doesn't isn't doesn't it feel like that where I mean we all want Cavendish to come back in some way I think but you know he's not going to dominate throughout a season 
like he used to. That that's that's for damn sure. Gaviria has has blown hot and cold for his entire career, uh, and and really is is not one of the most consistent sprinters anywhere. <laughs> so if you if you if you gotta take those two out, there's actually the sprint field at this Giro is really fascinating because it is it feels like a sprint field of like 2024 and 2025, right? It feels like a bunch of pr- relatively young riders who are maybe on their way up and are going to get an opportunity to win a, a Grand Tour stage like like Milan did today and, and sort of see what that does to their career because we all know that sprinting is a confidence game. And uh, if, if these riders, if, if you know, uh, yeah, Groves and Arnamara and, and all these, these relatively young riders who are showing that they have speed, if they can get a good result at this Giro, I mean, it could, it could potentially change the trajectory of their whole whole career here. Yeah, I feel like that is more so for sprinting than any other real discipline within within road cycling. All right, so after two stages, Remco Evenepoel is your clear leader at the Giro d'Italia. Of the big GC names, Joao Almeida is your next best rider, 29 seconds back. Primoz Roglic, 43 seconds down. And Gary Thomas did a great job today to not crash, which has been an issue for him in the past, particularly at the Giro. Uh, he's now the, the best place rider at Ineos. That said... Tig Egenhardt, who did go down today, didn't lose that much time. So he had a great opening TT for Tig Egenhardt. I was pretty impressed with his TT. And he's now, after losing a little bit of time on stage two, he's still only four seconds down on Garen Thomas. So I, I feel like he's got to be pretty happy with the fact that he was able to get back up there. Uh, and as we have said, this race is not over. So you should keep watching. Other than Remco, who who was overperformed on the GC side so far? I mean, Almeida for me pulled a TT that was significantly better than I think most thought he was going to do. For some reason, I had him down, and I can't even remember why I did this. I had him down as a at, for, with a pretty good, like predicting a pretty good ride that turned out to be true. Uh, Teo, I did not really. <laughs> Teo Gaginard, I did not really have him down for a good time trial, and he pulled a, a really good one out of the hat. So those two really overperformed for me. Garrett Thomas, given his time trial abilities, he basically just performed on par. I would, yeah, exactly. Was, was anybody who's underperformed from a GC? Well, real quick, I don't want to be a huge homer here, but uh, Brandon McDulty had a great opening TT, and that whole team, the UAE team, is really strong. They have a lot of options for this race, and I, I'm hoping against hope because we just don't see this very often that they will try to be aggressive with their various options and send one rider up the road after another because they have Almeida, they have McDulty, and they have. Jay Vine. Teams never end up doing that. I always say I want it to happen, and then they just like ride boringly. Hopefully they'll try it. We'll see. Uh, it's it's not like they're the big favorites with uh, Teddy Pogacar like they will be for, I don't know, every other race of the year. So maybe, maybe they'll mix it up. I mean, the only ones that kind of stick out to me as underperforming would be maybe Jack Haig, unfortunately, with Bahrain. And and if, if you're looking at him as a GC contender, which I think a lot, some people are, then uh, Leonard Kamna also didn't have a great day. Both of them, Kamna was like 123 back. Uh, Jack Haig was 136. So, uh, yeah, not not great days out for them. Rigoberto Aran was down there too, but I'm not yeah, sure he's saying. actually a GC guy anymore. <laughs> I don't know what he's up to. That's the question. Well, the, the ride from uh, both of EF's kind of maybe – GC guys, Ben Healy also, I don't think people were necessarily expecting much from Ben Healy in in this TT, but he and Hugh Carthy both, uh, so it wasn't just Rigoberto Aran, the whole 
EF team was really not especially, uh, they weren't very contendery in that opening TT. Uh, unfortunately, Kaylee, um, Tebapino also had a little bit of a slow TT in his final Giro d'Italia. Where did he finish? Pretty far. 47th, 144 back. Now, see, Pino's just doing his usual. He doesn't want he doesn't want to uh, scare everyone. He wants to <laughs> lull them into a false sense of security, and that's what he's doing. This is what he does every time. Don't worry about it. All right, well, uh, consider me lulled. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, realistically, what, I guess my point is that, you know, most of the GC riders had pretty good days. Remco Venable had a much better day, and so... Yeah, when people say the Giro is over, I feel like there's still this this big lump of contenders all right near each other where at the very least they're going to be duking it out for for minor places, right? At the at the in worst case scenario, best case scenario, they're they're going to keep it close to a Venable into that last week. Yeah, I mean, I think the the high mountains are were always going to be where this race is decided and the way we have seen Primoz Roglic climb when he's at his very best I don't think we've seen Remco Evenepoel climb on, on high mountains that way yet. Yes, he's a Grand Tour winner. He won the Vuelta. Uh, but I think he will. Need, he still needs to prove something. He still needs. To, I think he still needs to prove that he can do this sort of thing at the Giro where everybody's at their best. So I agree. It's not just wishful thinking. This race is not over. Keep watching and, and keep listening to our podcast. Uh, let's talk about the other big race, the other big stage race that went on. And that finished today... The Vuelta Femenina, Cosmo, just to set the scene so that we can refer back to the things that happened. What happened? What happened at the Vuelta Femenina? We got we got a little bit of everything. We got an opening day TT decided by a second, or team time trial, excuse me, decided by a second. Uh, we had echelons a day or two later that uh, caught out basically the entire Trek Segafredo team. Uh, we had kind of an uphill sprint uh, that made it look like Demi Vollering was going to be have an easy time of things. Uh, and then we had a surprise pee break and echelon attack where Annemiek van Vloten gained a bunch of time, much to the chagrin of Estee Works. And then we had Battle Royale up a huge climb into the fog, into the mist. Final GC decided by nine seconds. I think that's a pretty phenomenal stage race uh, in favor of Annemiek van Vloten over uh, Demi Vollering. Yeah, to have a stage race that included some serious climbs, including the climb to Lagos de Covadonga that we saw today only finish with a nine second margin between the leader and the runner up is rare. I mean, we just don't see that very often. Lots to talk about with the Vuelta. Let's just, let's open it up by talking about that, uh, that move that helped Annemiek van Vleuten get some time. Um, attacking when somebody is taking a nature break. What, so what the, the thing that is interesting is we don't, we didn't get camera footage of it. Because it, it happened uh, 20K or so before the TV coverage came on. So we only have you know, Strava files. We only have what people said in interviews, press releases. Uh, a lot of kind of reading between the lines in the press releases. Uh, but it really does seem like that um, a group of people, including Vollering, stopped for a nature break. And then maybe a kilometer or so later, um, a Movistar... Trek, Yumbo, I think those were the three teams that Estee Works basically called out in their press release, uh, attacked, according to Estee Works, before there was even a crosswind. It was it was just, they just decided to attack, and then the crosswind came up. Um, after the race, Van Vloten was very clear that they had been planning to attack there. She didn't deny the fact that people had already started to pee before they attacked. 
Um, there's just so many different ways to look at it. Um, yeah, I'd, where, where should we start the discussion? Well, it's just so much. That's what she said. She said, yeah. Who, what do you even, what do you even believe? I don't know. It's so annoying. We didn't see it on the TV. Um, I think that I can see both sides completely. And if Van Vloot, if they had been in each other's shoes, I think Damien even said it herself, you know, I would have said the same thing. So I think she just kind of knows that maybe she would have done the same thing. And Haven't they done the same thing in the opposite direction? So I'm thinking back to the Tour de France Femme. There was, it, it was not an, not an identical situation, but wasn't, didn't, Van Vleuten had to have an issue and Vollering and SD Works like kept riding and I believe it was on stage seven so Van Vleuten solidly in the lead uh, on a descent she stopped for a wheel change and SD Works went to the front and kept pushing the pace I don't quite know that I would say it's the same um, you know it was it was not an organized we are going to stop here and formally do a thing that everybody's probably going to have to do once or twice during this race it was more of a like mechanical that is going to is a known amount of time it's going to take changing it and also i believe there was still a break up the road at this point too so there were it was kind of reasonable to continue chasing i i don't think they didn't attack her but i don't know that they went all in trying to take full advantage at last year's uh, tour de france femme but i can definitely understand why people would say that and i can't fully disagree all i know is that if you have three teams that have come together and said, at this point in the race, we're going to do this, you have to do that before the stage starts. Any rider can pee at any random moment of the race. <laughs> so if I'm going to believe one person over the other, if it was just Van Vloon on her own attacking, she's seen someone pee and she had three teammates around her and all they did was go to the front and go hard, then sure, like maybe you took advantage. And we didn't see the footage, so we don't really know. But if they had three teams all come together at the same time in that moment, you're not organizing that between the time of Damie saying to the Peloton, hey, I'm going to go pee, um, and then like t taking it to every single team and getting them all organized enough to do it within the kilometer that it took for Damie to get to the side of the road. Was it Sebastian Nzue, the, the, the manager of the Movistar? women's team that's that was basically their whole thing was like we planned it there's it, like it was too late they should have known there was crosswind section coming up which i think that's a very valid uh, particularly in in the day uh, in the days of velo viewer and and like pretty accurate looks at these courses ahead of time i 100 percent agree that that sd work should have known a crosswind section was coming and should probably have chosen a different time to pee and, and yeah, I, I, like the other side of this is is like what well, we have seen, and I'm not saying this is this is what happened. This is actually definitely not what happened. But like, if you go too far in the other direction, where you know any time a race leader pulls over, like it automatically neutralizes, then you end up with a situation like, and I'm gonna I'm trying to remember exactly which Tour de France it was. It would have been 20, I want to say 17, where uh, Chris Froome pulled over on the side of the road because one of his domestiques, Ian Stannard had an issue. And so, which was like a total bullshit. <laughs> like he basically, and, it, and the race was on and it was actually, it was Movistar involved in that one as well. Valverde was basically like, uh, no, we don't have to, we don't have to stop because you're stopping for your domestique. That's not how this works. And Valverde just kept riding and Movistar kept riding. But essentially that was Sky at the time trying to take advantage of this rule 
to like neutralize the bike race whenever they damn well please. And if you take sort of the argument that I think Volering and company are making to its to its natural conclusion, you do end up there. And so that that's I think that's part of the reason. Having seen that happen, it's part of the reason why I don't have a whole lot of time for for that particular argument. Is like I don't think you have to pull over and stop every single time the red jersey wants to slow down for a little while, right? Like I don't. That's just not how sport works. And if you're if you're gonna do a pee break, like make sure the entire field is on board before you pull over and stop. That would probably be a good way to start. I think I peed maybe like three times my entire career because I was so terrified of missing an important part of the race, and I was never <laughs> in the leader's jersey like that. Like she wasn't the one day to go. So I don't know. I think she has every right to be frustrated and annoyed, but I don't believe that it was like specifically done maliciously though that they were not the only team to maybe pay more attention to crosswinds this tall another thing we should probably mention is the the barrage that was apparently put up um this is when you pull all of the team cars out from behind the peloton so that the chaser or chasers can't use them to pace their way back in uh Again, we don't have footage of it happening on stage seven, but we, or on stage six, but we can definitely say on stage five, there was a, a mid-pack crash with one of uh, Volering's teammates, uh, Nia Fisher-Black, and uh, she and Enes Santesteban, they both went down at the same time. Um, same incident. Santesteban got up pretty quickly, had neutral service, come put her chain back on, and then got pushed back into the race. Maybe 10 seconds later, uh, Fisher-Black got a new bike, rode back into the race, when she was trying to do that, they called a barrage, and they didn't call one for a Sintestaban, like just ahead, like seconds ahead of her. Um, and it seemed highly, I want to say malicious, but it definitely seemed harsh. Um, I, I guess you could say, oh, well, Sintestaban, she took neutral service, you waited, so it would be unfair to let you use the cars the same way she did. But it, 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 didn't, it didn't impact the race at all, right? There wasn't, it wasn't like... Fisher Black had gotten dropped and was trying to sneak her way back in. Like, there was a very clear, like, middle-of-the-pack accident that happens. And for whatever reason, the organization was like, no, if you're going to make it back up to the main group, you have to do it without the help of any cars. And allegedly, this happened again on Stage 6, where when Vollering you know, stopped peeing and got everyone together, they pulled all the cars out of the gap. Uh, which I can see actually making a little bit more sense, because it was a very intentional tactical decision on the part of, of Movistar and the other teams to going to go forward and increase the pace. But it it, you kind of feel like there may be a pattern um, of, of decisions falling in Movistar's favor, especially after seeing uh, Guy Realini almost be not awarded the stage that she pretty clearly won uh, at the end of that day uh, with the with the P-break. This is why we need to, like, I think race juries need to be very visible. Like, we need to put them in, like, the, you know, like the ref suit with the stripes and all and they need to be like around and 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 you can like they have to tell it explain to us what they're doing give them a we mic can see who the who the problem is you know i think yeah I think this is this is because we're americans kaylee we're so used to for rule rule making bodies being alleged to make sense instead of right. being arbitrary sources of power as europeans tend to see them <laughs> holding on the movistar team oh, yeah i love i love nfl refs yeah. i love it <laughs> No, I agree with that. So are we are we generally of the opinion as a podcast that while Volering has like every right to be annoyed, there was she has no right to actually like want to reverse anything 
Nothing. Nothing was actually done wrong. That's my opinion. With the with but, the peace stop, I, I I agree with that. Yeah. yeah, an explanation for the barrage would be nice. That's yeah, true. That, that's different a little bit. I mean, it could be different. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's nothing. That's a question mark. Um, so we're I, getting I very like... very conspiracy theory territory over here. I like it. <laughs> my, I like it a my, lot. My bad. I do. I do think that whether she deserves it or not, it's the sort of thing where if Annemiek van Vleuten, like even if Annemiek van Vleuten didn't intend to break the unwritten rules, you know, uh, and even if she was one of several people doing it, this is the sort of thing where it wouldn't be surprising if somebody else went out of their way to, uh, oh, I'm going to ignore those unwritten rules since you did that to me, which is something that the Movistar team, it's it's so perfect that she races for Movistar uh, because the men's Movistar team has a history of doing that sort of thing. At the Vuelta, there, there was another incident in 2019, I think it was, where they raced on when Roglic had an issue, and then Miguel Angel Lopez called them out and said it was kind of like always them. They're always them doing this sort of thing. And then he, of course, went and signed with the team, which was fantastic. Uh, but yeah, it, it is very much a Movistar kind of uh, situation to find yourself in, Anamique. And hopefully you won't get somebody trying to take a little revenge on you when you stop for whatever reason at some point. I just think that because they had the help of the other teams, this was obviously something that the other teams had all come together before and said, we want to try and beat SD Works some way, somehow, which is a little bit funny because last year they would have all been like, how do we beat Annemiek van Vluten? <laughs> um, and now it's with someone else. And I think that if it was a plan with, again, we didn't see it, but if it was actually a plan with more than one team, then it was thought about before the stage started, not in that moment. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not even disputing that. What, what I'm saying is, it doesn't merely matter what the pretty serious crew thinks. What matters is if Demi Vollering sees it that way. If, oh. if she can, you know, move on. Because if not, then it could have an impact on some race in the future, even if Enemy Van Vliet doesn't deserve it. That's what that's what I'm saying. Dane, bike races are going to race. Like, it's not going to matter. Like, she'll, she'll do what she needs to try to do to win a race, and you kind of already alluded to that in an earlier race when she did that. So I, I just think they're out there to try and win, and we've seen it against her own teammates. So I think that it's point. not going to really matter at the end of the day. She's just going to do what she can to win. She loves winning. And it made for an awesome day today. Like, again, yeah, it was super exciting. Watching her drop Raelini on the descent in zero visibility with, like, rocks and gravel millimeters off this, like, crusty, broken mountaintop pavement edge. Just full commitment to getting that time back and, like, coming nail-bitingly close. I do want to talk, since we are now kind of at the end of the race, I kind of want to talk about some takeaways from, from the week. Uh, for me... Maybe first, I, I I was really glad to see Gaia Rialini get her get her stage win and finish on the overall podium because we've seen her doing really really well so far this year and uh, being up there in some World Tour events. Uh, this was her first ever World Tour win. I think she's just 21 years old, and she has really exploded onto the scene for Trek this year, and just another great young rider for that team and and another. Uh, piece for them to use in this sort of race and i'm kind of glad that she was awarded the win on stage six that she won so, which i guess was a question mark there she did clearly win it which helps yeah to yeah. win a bike race when you clearly win the bike race it's it's a good way to get rewarded the win on the bike race a good way not always you know it doesn't always work not, out but. no guarantee <laughs> Uh, and then for me, uh, coming out of the race, I still feel like even if she didn't win the race, Demi Vollering looks like 
She still looks like the best stage racer in the world right now. I think I think I don't think you can I don't think it takes away from Annemiek van Vleuten if I say that if they raced this race again, I think that Demi Vollering would win it. But it doesn't mean she didn't I mean Annemiek van Vleuten won. Good for her. But I think if we're looking ahead and, and we're trying to take takeaways here, I think that Demi Vollering still looks like the strongest stage racer in the world right now. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think she looks super strong. I think Trek learned a lot with Raylini this week. I wasn't sure if they were trying to race for Sprat earlier on in the week, and then they obviously kind of had to change course. Um, I think Canyon showed some real strength with a lot of numbers, especially the first climbing day, and that was exciting. I think they need to be a little braver at times, maybe, and in the future they could potentially attack a bit more with the with the numbers that they had. Ruth, they're listening to our podcast. They're hearing you say that they attack too much, <laughs> and now they're not attacking. What if it's all well, you? You need to check it at the right time. The right time. <laughs> but like, and when you have five of you in a final with whatever 5K to go and no one's attacking, then I'm a bit like, now's the time, guys. <laughs> There's five of you. But I also understand, like, you're nervous. You know you're probably not going to outclimb someone. And they did end up, I think, third that day. Yeah, they got a third place finish on the day I'm talking about. Um, but overall, like, I think that the stage racing coming up for the women, that's just also pretty new. We've only normally had, you know, one or two stage races like this on the calendar in the past. So it's pretty exciting to be able to watch the whole thing and just see maybe some riders get to try something else. Like with Raylini, I don't know if she would have gotten the chances if Lizzie had been at her best or maybe Spratty was climbing a bit better. So, or if Elisa Longo-Borghini had been there as well. So this is pretty cool to see. I thought Chloe Deigert was riding really well for someone who's not generally thought of as a mass start road racer. Um, I don't know why she's not thought of as that way. She's yeah, I, she, just I'm, I'm being funny. It's sarcasm. She them, she's hardly done any road racing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because she never does it. <laughs> she is, which is really like it's 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 kind of a shame that she doesn't ever do road racing. I mean, I, I I think she could have won a couple likes stages to guarantee here. She can win. And she can guarantee she can win in a time trial. She can't guarantee she can win in a road race. But she got pretty close, which she is came really darn close there. She yeah. did. I, it was really cool. I was like, "All right, go for it." She needs to learn some. Like Voss put on some like incredible shows of bike racing earlier on, and I was like, "Chloe, you're leading out Voss again." Okay, <laughs> Voss won. All right. Well, maybe next time. <laughs> maybe that will come with experience. Uh, yeah. Speaking of Voss, I, this is sort of. A, an aside or, or maybe a tangent, but you mentioned the the increased um, number of, of, of stage races on the calendar and, and how we, we suddenly are in this position where well, we get to watch some great stage races, which not very long ago wouldn't have been the case. There just was a limited number of them in the middle of the season, and now we've got the wealth that's going to head into, well, there's the Giro Rosa, and there kind of has been for a while, but now there's the, the women's tour as well. And I think that's really cool for riders like Raelini, uh, I, I think if you're a rider like Ashley Bowman Passio, for instance, you kind of your bum didn't happen five years ago. Uh, there's a lot of really good climbers out there who, for so long, they just haven't had a lot of opportunities to show off what they can do because there haven't been that many races like this. Uh, and it, and and for so long, it was like riders like Mariana Voss won everything because that's so many of the races were that way. I mean, okay, she's also the, the greatest, but so many of the races were one-day races without these huge climbs, and it's just great that we get to see more of those riders get to do their thing. Can Rio Lini uh, time trial? I ask because I'm looking at the profiles of the Tour de France Femme, which is, granted, a fair ways down the, down the pike here, but she was so impressive this week. And <laughs> stage seven of the Tour de France Femme of Exwift 
finishes atop the Col de Tourmalet. And if she could get enough time there, the problem is, the problem is, there's a 22-kilometer time trial with a pretty small hill in it in Poe the day after. And so, I, know, I guess I, I was watching this week and wondering if this was also a bit of a changing of the guard at Trek. Because they do have so many big names. Uh, but, like, you know, Lizzie is probably at least nearing the end of her career. Uh, really, and he's really young. And so do you build a team around her for the tour? Probably not just yet. But it's an interesting thought. I, I To maybe try to answer your question, we don't have a lot of data. She has raced, I believe, just one individual time trial in her pro career. That's it, as, as, a, as a pro rider. Uh, she did the Giro Rosa TT in 2021, and she was good there. She was ninth, and she was only like huh. 19 years old then, uh, maybe 18, maybe 20, All something right. around there. Ruth Winder was 13th in that TT, by the way. So was uh, I really? Yeah, you were. <laughs> yeah. So we got a lot of speed on this podcast. That sounds decent. Split four ways, <laughs> like we're pretty fast. Uh, yeah. Before we move on, Cosmo Trobro happened today. Trobro Leon which is a very popular race for people who like bike racing, even if it's not a big world tour event. Uh, any big takeaways? I thought it was cool that Nisola won. I thought Rasmus Tiller looked ridiculous doing no work at all for the last, like, 10K, and then getting really mad when he finished, like, 7th or something in the sprint because <laughs> maybe someone got in his way. It was just like, I'm sorry, dude. This was pure karma. It's the hipster, Roubaix. Yeah. It, it kind of is. With a pig. The whole... I was going to say, do people still win a pig? Yeah. Oh, yeah, Giacomo Nozzolo had a There's, photo I with his, pig, his piglet after he won, yeah. which great win for Giacomo, by the way. I'm sure he wanted to be in the Giro, but he might maybe he's racing the Tour instead. He also flatted at like 23k out and chased his way back and then recovered just long enough and then won a, a small group sprint. And the last like last 10 or 15k of that race were intense. I mean, those revenue, which is the equivalent of, of you know, the, the like a cobble sector, right? Uh, except that they're just farm tracks. They come thick and fast at the end there. And it's there's literally like, you know, a, a farm track section, a revenue section, and then like 800 meters and then another one and then 500 meters and then another one and then 1,200 meters and then another one. And it's just complete chaos for like the last 30K, which I think is why the race is so good. Uh, plus, it's kind of like this weird, like mostly French teams care and, you know, like Kofidis is like the big dog in it, which is funny because that never happens. Uh, it's just a... It, like I said, it's, it's the hipster Rube. It's great. I really enjoyed it. Uh, Nizola was was he was genuinely super excited about having having won that one. And yeah, you win a piglet at the end. What's not to like about Trobroleon, really? There's nothing not to like. Uh, maybe it, maybe we could see. I don't know. It, it feels like a race where everybody likes it. So all I know is that like part of the reason why we became kind of aware of it, honestly, was that the Grubers went and shot it. And everyone was like, holy crap, this race is, what is so this madness? Cool. Yeah, like like shots of them coming through just like muddy tunnels and like stuff like that. And that kind of put it on the, I think, like the English-speaking bike fans' consciousness a couple of years ago. But now the Groovers can't go to it anymore because it overlaps with the Giro, which is kind of unfortunate. Uh, I feel like it used to be a bit later. I'm trying to remember. It was either later or earlier because it didn't overlap with the Giro. Uh yeah, it, it it just feels like one of those races where if, if it could find the right slot in the calendar, it's like crazy and weird enough that it could maybe pull 
like a strata where it just it kind of like that's rises exactly in, in in popularity really 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 fast because let's not forget that strata bianca existed for quite some time before it was in its current guise and its current spot in the calendar actually a different name uh, but it was essentially the same race and it just needed a little bit of a tweak and all of a sudden it's you know people want it to be a monument right so i, I it might be a bit too ridiculous to be perfectly honest like it it borders into like is this a cyclocross race <laughs> like is this a six hour cyclocross race kind of territory but it's also really 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 cool and it's and it's yeah it's just a good reflection of like i think what a lot of amateur cyclists are, are out there doing these days for you know ride a bit of pavement ride some dirt run 33s on your on your road bike kind of thing it's just cool all right jared italia we've got an entertaining week ahead uh, in southern Italy. Looking ahead to this week, it's a lot of stage hunter friendly days. By the time you're listening to this, you actually would have seen a little bit of a potentially some interesting climbery finish because the stage three has a, a couple of climbs towards the end. Stage four has a climb near the very end. Uh, I think they're more like breakaway or punchy type days than GC days. The real GC action we're going to see on stage seven, which finishes at a place with one of the coolest names, Campo Imperatore, the Emperor's Field, uh, which I just love. And then the Stage 9 TT before the rest day, which is going to be a really, really important day. It's 35K. It's really flat. Um, it starts in Savagliano Sel Rubicone, which if you read my little cultural note, not little, my very long cultural notebook, you'll know was uh, named that because in the 1900s, some historians decided that's probably where the Rubicon River was uh, that Caesar crossed. Uh, and whoever finishes that stage in the lead of the GC, I think is going to have a pretty strong position heading into the second half of the race because it's long, it's flat. I think we're going to see some very sad climbers at the end of that day. Uh, possibly a very happy Remco Evenepoel. But we'll only know that if we watch and find out and then listen to the podcast and talk about it. And it'll be very exciting. So do come back and hear us next week. In the meantime, we're going to have some Wheel Talk action. We're going to have some Geek Warning action. There will be a placeholders. Lots of podcasting to hear. And lots of coverage over at escapecollective.cc. Kaylee, you're the editor-in-chief of that website. Uh, should people subscribe? Mm, probably. I yeah. agree. I think so. Uh, also, we got the .com. So if you want to, you can type in escapecollective.com. It'll take you to the same website either way. But, you know, if, if you're just like anti-CC for some reason, you can do That's that. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Great news. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you, or you'll at least hear from us in a week. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Bye.